You're listening to Money and Meaning, Unlikely Allies, Building New Markets for Impact. With your hosts, Lindsay Smalling and Alex Kravitz. Check out our website, socialcapitalmarkets.net. Let's join the conversation. Welcome back to Money and Meaning. I'm your host, Alex Kravitz. For today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Marcia Chong Rosado, the manager of the financial innovation practice at Village Capital, which is, simply put, an accelerator for social enterprises. But they have some really innovative ways that they select companies and determine which companies receive funding at the end of a program. Also joining us is Ramona Ortega, the founder of My Money, My Future, a platform that provides financial planning and money management tools targeted towards millennials, particularly in underserved communities. Ramona is also a member of the advisory board for the new 2019 U.S.-based Finance Forward Village Capital cohort. During our conversation, we talk about why financial inclusion has been a core focus since Village Capital was founded and some of the challenges of trying to engage with, with individuals who have traditionally been been underserved by financial institutions, and how the financial services landscape has evolved with the advent of new technologies. So without further ado, let's jump into the conversation. Marcia, Ramona, welcome to the show. I'm excited to get into the work that both of you are doing around financial inclusion and and financial health. But before we get to that, Marcia, could you tell us a little bit about Village Capital? Sure. And thank you so much for uh, inviting me here. Um, And so Village Capital has been around over the past 10 years, and our work is really focused on helping entrepreneurs to scale and grow. Uh, And we're focused on entrepreneurs um, that are working on uh, important um, global social issues. Um, and so Village Capital is structured as having both a nonprofit entity that runs global accelerator programs um, and has partnerships with corporates. And then we also have an affiliated venture capital fund that um, has been investing in companies that are peer selected through our accelerator program. How is the setup of your programs different than that of a a traditional accelerator? Our programs are based on feedback from hundreds of entrepreneurs and investors who have gone through our programs, um, people that we've been working with. um, And we took that feedback to design a program that is focused on two things. So one is on an investment readiness curriculum. And uh, the other aspect is this peer review model that I think makes our programs unique. What do you mean when you say peer review? You know, the way that we've designed um, our programs is that the cohorts of entrepreneurs are providing continuous feedback to one another on different aspects of their businesses. And at the end of the program, the cohort of entrepreneurs use this feedback to evaluate one another and to um, identify who are the top it typically is two ventures to receive an investment either from our VC fund or from another um, co-investor or um, partner that 
is involved in the program. Got it. So instead of it being like the accelerator or the the partners at your firm selecting what company is getting investment, it's the it's the other uh, businesses that are working alongside them in the cohort. That's right. Um, and you recently just launched your your 2019 U.S. fintech program. And one of the advisors of that program is is Ramona Ortega, who's the founder of of My Money, My Future. Um, Ramona, can you tell us a little bit about your company? Uh, what do you do and, and what led you to found it? Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm a big fan of, of the podcast, but also I'm very excited to be working with Village Capital this year. Um, they've been doing a lot in this financial inclusion space. So My Money, My Future is a platform that provides personal financial guidance, particularly to millennials of color. Um, And so why did I choose that demographic as our target audience? Um, Because for so many years, um, we've seen sort of the rise of fintech and really making financial inclusion a big part of uh, sort of the policy and fintech and technology services. Um, But there are very few that are focused specifically on um, this demographic, and they've been often overlooked and underserved by traditional financial institutions. So as a mission, our company is really geared towards closing the racial wealth gap. And so that was, you know, really what started me on this road was to figure out how could we use technology to scale financial advice um, to help people build wealth. Can you give an example of the ways that that people of color have been excluded from traditional financial institutions? Well, I don't, I think there's plenty of data points on the racial wealth gap. I mean, there's lots of reports that have been done, not only by um, sort of, you know, demos and policy analysis and census groups, et cetera. Um, but we also know that there's been lots of sort of structural racism that has impeded um, many communities of color to build wealth. Um, if you think about redlining that took took part in sort of over the course of about 20 years, um, that's just the more sort of more recent. If you look at the housing crisis, um, black and brown found families lost 50% of their wealth um, in that scenario. So you've got those two things from a structural point of view, but then you also have the fact that um, there's a lack of intergenerational wealth. Um, and something that we're looking to address is that that big piece there, which is how do you build wealth over time and then pass it down. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think part of what we're looking at are all of those pieces. How do you bring them together and make it accessible? Um, in terms of just accessibility, you've got things like a lot of people, um, you know, traditionally have not necessarily had a bank account or haven't had access to a bank account. We are now seeing much more accessibility um, because of technology, which is great. Um, but even in terms of financial advisors, the model itself has been very um, expensive, right? So it's assets under management. And if you don't have any assets, um, then it's often hard to um, get the financial advice you need. So if you don't get it at home, you don't get it at school, then you essentially don't get it. Um, and so that's another piece of, of the picture, which is sort of financial education um, alongside financial action and planning. So Marcia, Ramona just named several areas within the financial system from which a number of people have been excluded, including building credit, financial education, financial advising. Is there a a specific focus of the new cohort? This year, um, we're focused broadly on what are uh, startups, who are the startups that are addressing um, financial health challenges for people, families, and small business owners? And under that, um, a couple of areas that the advisory board 
which includes Ramona and, and others, um, other leaders within financial services, what we heard from them is, is, you know, we want to see solutions that are focused on income stability, especially for the gig economy. So if you have multiple income streams, how do you best allocate that and manage that um, for your expenses and for savings uh, and to build wealth? We also heard a lot, um, and I couldn't agree more with what uh, Ramona said around, you know, what are the solutions focused on building wealth? Um, I think there's interesting points of tension of there have been solutions focused on financial security, which is very important, but how do we move beyond that to um, help build assets over time? Um, and so we'll be focused on, on solutions focused on wealth. And then other areas include, yes, building savings. Uh, a big piece is reducing essentially bad debt, so student loans, other types of debt, um, increasing access to good credit, and then in terms of small business owners, helping them manage their personal versus business expenses and uh, helping them with tools you know, like InsureTech and other types of tools that they could be providing to their employees as well. So there are a lot of different areas. When you say that you you heard that that these are the areas that are important to target, like stabilizing income and, and building wealth, is that coming from the advisory board? Is it coming from the 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 communities that you're you're trying to serve? Who are you who are you hearing that from? So Village Capital this year was very intentional to put together um, a diverse advisory board that not only represented, um, you know, traditional leaders within financial services in capital deploying positions. So financial institutions, think of banks, think of um, traditional fintech VCs, but we also included um, newer voices from founders, from academics and researchers who have been working on the ground to understand what are the pain points that people, families, and business owners face as it relates to financial health. FinTech and, and financial inclusion has been like a core sector that Village Capital is focused on um, for a number of years. I think this is the, the fifth or sixth year that you've done a, a U.S.-based um, program. Uh, how has the landscape evolved over that time? I mean, are these similar issue areas that you've been targeting year after year, or is this, is this different than what you've seen in the past? So our focus areas have evolved over time, and it's mainly been dependent on what the advisory board each year has to say in terms of what are the innovation areas that we're interested in exploring this year. And so, for example, in 2016 and 2017, when we were beginning our work in this sector, I would say there was a, a strong focus on um, consumer financial security. And then in 2018, there was a focus towards solutions focused on harnessing financial data. And this year, um, in addition to the areas that I mentioned, I think we're a lot more intentional about using the term financial health, moving beyond just security towards building wealth and are more intentional about being real about the role of race, ethnicities, and other factors that have contributed to inequality and wealth and in financial health for communities. 
have those earlier focuses like um, financial security and, and the financial data, have you seen an improvement in those, which is why you're focusing on, on other areas or are you just, um, what, what led to the, the changing focus? Is it more based on who's on the advisory board and what they're, they're passionate about? I think it's a mix of both. And I think what we've seen is a desire in the marketplace and also more inclusion and diverse voices from leaders in the space saying that, you know, access is important and has, is really important to shift the needle, but we need to, you know, continue to think about the spectrum. Um, and yeah, we've seen more demand towards thinking about wealth building. Got it. How, how does it, how does it change? I mean, you mentioned that you're targeting both um, individuals and like small business owners. How, how is it, how is it different um, for, for business owners as opposed to, to individuals? Business owners, what we're seeing in that space, there's some challenges, A, um, in being able to manage not only your business finances, so expenses, cash flow, um, income coming in, but also at the same time, you have your personal finances to take care of at the same time, and often they're interwoven. Um, and, and so I think that's one main difference is like you have multiple, uh, you have these two larger buckets that you have to manage. And then the other piece too, is as we're seeing the growth for the gig economy and, and many of these employers or employees, excuse me, are being employed by small business owners. Like how do, can small business owners better, uh, provide resources to them? Um, make sure that they're covered. Ramona, did you want to did you want to jump in and add on to that? Yes, um, I actually just had a, a, another comment about the small business because I do think that's increasingly important um, to essentially free up capital for people to be in the small business economy. As you see more and more people in the gig economy, but how do we really take those gig economy people and allow them to build? small businesses that then become big business, right? At the end of the day, nobody wants to stay, stay small. Um, and I think it's an important point that Marcia is making, which is well, most poor people don't start businesses, right? So right. if we're saying that a majority of people of color in this country um, are not building wealth and are staying in the lower middle income brackets, they are going to be less likely to start companies, let alone be in the innovation and tech economy, right? And so if we want to increase um, that sort of visibility and opportunity, we also need to be addressing personal finance as a hindrance to that that possibility. Um, and then once they're starting those small businesses, and I think this is o- overall, but particularly maybe for sort of first-time entrepreneurs, that cash flow, credit, um, those types of sort of almost personal finance issues often come up and are sort of factors in the success of a, of a newly minted small business. What are the ways that you're helping to move people from from lower middle income um, to get to the point where they they are, are more stable? I mean, traditionally, like home ownership has been a big a big driver. Um, does that tie into trying to build build credit, or or what are the ways? What are some of the 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 mechanics that that you're looking at as a way of moving people from that lower income into to to more stable income bracket? Sure. I mean, we have part of our platform is we think about all the choices that we make in sort of in your lifetime and what are the things that we could do better, right. To have help 
um, people sort of save, invest, and grow their money. Um, so the first thing is that we really acquaint people with the language of finance, right? So understanding the terms so they understand what kinds of contracts, what kinds of terms make sense. Like when people say APR, most people don't know what that is. You say yield, most people don't know what that is. Most people don't know sort of, you know, what compound interest and how, how it works. So once we start to introduce those terms, we also introduce them in the context of them um, sort of making a, a financial decision. So one of the big things that we focus on, um, especially since we're going after a millennial audience, is um, starting to invest particularly in an IRA or a Roth IRA early in life, because we all know that it's not how much you invest, it's how long you invest. And so getting people acquainted with those products, with that language, and then getting them to open it up an account so that they do have a nest egg and it's growing, particularly in the gig economy. So that's one thing. Um, the other is understanding how to manage a good credit score. Um, we, we know that people with, uh, with sort of lower credit scores are going to pay thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars more on every big purchase over the lifetime, right? So whether that's uh, qualifying for a mortgage or qualifying for a car um, or just having a safety net within your credit spectrum. Um, so credit is sort of king. And what we do is make sure that people understand their credit, understand the difference between their credit score and their their um, credit report, how to um, you know fix it, essentially, if there are things on there, if someone's had an identity issue. Um, so that's another big one. Um, understanding diversification within a portfolio. So like even that, right? I mean, it sounds fancy, but it's not. Essentially, it's like if you have a 401k, where, what are you investing in? We, we have dealt with a lot of people who say, I have money in a 401k, but I don't know where it's going. And what you end up seeing is that a lot of people will put it into a very safe account. So it's not growing. It's just sitting there or they have or people that are saving for a home perhaps. And that money is sitting in a bank account. And instead of sitting in a CD where they're going to get at least some interest. So these are all, I think about it, it's, it's sort of the, the rules of the game, right? And Oftentimes, a lot of people learn those rules inside their family, so it's passed down. Some a dad tells you, your grandparents tell you, you, you know, you're learning that stuff in your home. Well, if you don't have someone in your home who's teaching you that, then you're not making you're not making generally the right decisions with the money that you do have, the hard money that you do have. So what we try to do is really be that um, sort of guidance to people in those financial decisions. What are the challenges? I mean, you mentioned that you're you're targeting millennials. What what are the challenges of trying to reach people who who maybe haven't had that that financial guidance that you're talking about as being so important to to growing wealth? Well, I think the challenge in some ways is almost that they do nothing, right? It's not so much that they're going to someone else to do this; it's that they don't do anything at all, or they feel like I'm not ready to do that. There there are there's a huge issue in terms of like. Um, sort of managing money, especially around working class folks or um, people who've never really had sort of experience with money managers or sort of even money apps, that I don't have enough money to do any of that. I'm just surviving. So really, I think the challenge is getting them to understand that even when you're in survival mode, what we're going to try to do is take you from survival to, th to being able to really thrive and that it's not overnight. It's a, it's a long-term um, sort of challenge, right? And so I think that's, that's a key thing because we see this a lot in fintech. There's all of these apps out there that are kind of like the set and forget model, which is, oh, if you just open up this account and we're going to, you know, put money aside for you and somehow that's going to be your financial um, sort of, you know, sort of 
underpinning. It's going to be your economic um, safety net. That's not enough. Like getting a bank account, same thing. It's not enough just to have a bank account. You don't move people from poverty um, to wealth because they have a bank account. So it's many things and it takes time. And so what we see ourselves as is a um, sort of an, uh, the platform that brings those things together, gives people the advice they need so that they can take advantage of those products in a way that helps them build wealth over time. Marcia, Ramona just mentioned that that moving people out of, of poverty and helping them to build wealth takes time. So, you know, knowing that, how do you measure the success of a cohort? Is it is it just the number of companies that go on to raise additional funding or are you are you trying to to track other metrics? Is it a reduction in, in student debt or whatever is the focus of that year's program? I mean, how do you how do you gauge that success? That's a, a great question because managing and measuring impact is certainly a hot topic for our team. And um, what I can say is traditionally the way that we've measured success in terms of Village Capital's work is, you know, the core of our work is focused on investment readiness for entrepreneurs to help them grow. And so, yes, are they able to raise more capital because of the both the curriculum and the networks and connections that we were able to, to bring to them? And so, um, we were involved in an independent research study um, led by Emory University where they found that, you know, founders that go through a cohort are able to raise 3x more in capital. And so it, that is one metric, you know, in comparison to those who applied and don't go through the program. That's one metric, but um, something that we're also working on um, this year is figuring out how can we better define the impact metrics for each of the companies that specifically go through our cohort. So um, to your other point of like reduction in debt, like what's the, what are the outcome metrics that we could be uh, looking at for our cohort? Ramona, similar question for you. You mentioned that you're trying to help people build wealth and to move people out of poverty. Um, but at the same time, you have the, the additional challenge of, of trying to scale my money, my future, and, and make sure that the company is, is successful on its own. So, you know, knowing that, do you try to track impact and, and see if you're, you're accomplishing the target that you set out for? Yeah. So it's, I mean, clearly we're an early stage company and we'd love to do more. Um, but what, what we do do is um, get a baseline. So when people register for an account, um, what we generally do is get a, as, assess sort of where they're at. So we ask some questions like, do they have a 401k? Do they have a um, life insurance? Do they have um, an emergency savings? And what we do is we're going to be following up with people um, throughout sort of a, almost thinking of my, like a longitudinal study, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and ideally what we'll be able to do is to sort of track their sort of participation in particular investment vehicles or sort of wealth building vehicles or products. Um, that's one way. Um, also just get gauging from, I mean, we have tons of people who are like, tell us stories. Like I didn't have, a, I didn't have an, an insurance or a life insurance um, before I went to your platform. Now I do. I, I know of people who are now in a high yield saving uh, CD account um, after having watched one of our webinars, for example. Um, so we know that what we need to do is really implement a longer term strategy. Part of that is resources, as you know. Or, um, I mean, I think I, we're part of the statistics, essentially, in that 
we are a company run by women of color in Silicon Valley, which we all know the numbers. So we're sort of working at the same pace, um, trying to scale our company with the least amount of capital. So while we love to be doing more, it's definitely something that we think about in terms of partnerships, though, maybe with an academic institution, since we will be having access um, to essentially people's behaviors. And, and again, you know, we're not going to know sort of what's in their bank account, but we will have uh, a sense of are they growing and participating in wealth building activities. So you're both, it's both anecdotal from the people that you're that you're working with and you're trying to have some some longitudinal data that you're tracking. Correct. How did you how did you get involved with with Village Capital? How did you get involved with with being on the advisory board? So I I mean I've sort of known about Village Capital since we started. I think they have a very good reputation in terms of um, sort of really striving to help early stage entrepreneurs in fintech and they have a big financial inclusion footprint. Um, so I've sort of been swirling around uh, Village Capital for a while, um, and then uh, Marcia reached out um, this year, and we met at, in person at South by Southwest and talked about the, the role. And of course, I'm eager to sort of participate and really like their mission, um, and so I'm really excited to to be part of it this year. And I think that um, Marcia's sort of mission also to diversify the advisory board is really important because I think that's something that we're starting to see, which is um, many of the, the financial inclusion sort of um, sort of associations or sort of folks that are talking about it might not necessarily have um, that personal experience with communities of color that are sort of facing these issues. And so Marcia's, I think, intent to bring in more founders who also represent the communities that they're serving is super important. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to have advisors who have gone through similar experiences to the, the entrepreneurs that you're working with. And I, I wish you both success with, with the, the new cohort. Um, is there anything that, that I haven't asked either of you about either um, My Money, My Future or the, the VILCAP program that, that you'd like to mention before we end? I mean, I would love to make a quick plug for the <laughs> Finance Forward U.S. program. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, we're actively recruiting founders and encourage founders that are in this area to uh, check out our Finance Forward U.S. landing page on Village Capital's website and applications are open through July 8th. Awesome. Thank you very much. I, uh, and thank you both for for agreeing to, to sit down with me and, and telling me a little bit more about, about the work you're doing. I, uh, I really appreciate it and I would encourage everyone to to, to go check out that, that Village Capital program. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Money and Meaning. As always, if you have any feedback for us or uh, any suggestions for a, a show, you can reach out to me at moneyandmeaningpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back in two weeks with an episode that's a recording from a recent Baltimore SOCAP 365 event about building community wealth with alternative ownership structures. So we'll be talking about employee stock option plans and, and co-ops and other good things like that. Um, and then we'll have an interview with, with Rip Rapson from the Kresge Foundation and an interview with the Walton Family Foundation and Impact Finance Center. So both of those will be coming up later in, in July. So stay tuned for those, and, and we'll be back in two weeks.
You've been listening to Money and Meaning, unlikely allies building new markets for impact. With your hosts, Lindsay Smalling and Alex Kravitz. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are heard. To learn more, check out our website, socialcapitalmarkets.net. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SoCapMarkets. Thanks for listening.